But as we begin our journey through Jonah over these next four weeks, let's start our time with a word of prayer. We pray. Heavenly Father, we're going to start this journey this morning through these four chapters in Jonah, this small book, but with a powerful message. So we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through it and remind us of the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ, this beautiful picture of your relentless grace that you have poured out for us in Jesus Christ. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and lives to be changed and molded by your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have found that there is a place that is one of the worst places to find yourself. And that is in the kindergarten through second grade wrestling mats at a wrestling tournament. Like that is the worst place you can ever go. And here is why. The parents are terrible. They are absolutely the worst. So I took my son to this wrestling tournament, the regional wrestling tournament, Saturday morning. And uh, as we're there, there was one little boy who was wrestling and got pinned. And after getting pinned, got up, took his headgear off, because we wear headgear to protect your ears from what's called cauliflower ear. And, and so you took, he took the headgear off and he whipped it off the mat and, and then stomped his feet and wouldn't shake his team, the opponent's hand, and, and walked off, ran off the mat, out the door, slammed the doors of the gym open, and, and uh, then there's a parent in the crowd who starts booing this kid. I'm like, you're booing a seven-year-old, congratulations, right? And, and then the parent was coaching him, and so he's angry at the parent in the stands who's booing, not his son who'd stormed out of the gym in the unsportsman. So he starts running up into the bleachers after the, like there's, so some of you saw that viral video of the two moms. Did you see that video where, where the one mom head throws the other mom? Actually better technique from them than their kids, right? And, 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 and like the kids are standing there like, what are we, start, should we start coaching, right? Like, like what are we supposed to do? Like, like I'm like, this is gonna happen in the stands right now. Like, it was horrible, like the, the sportsmanship, and it doesn't happen the older you get. I think it's because parents learn more the older they get about the sport. Because you start to realize that parents at that age, unless they've wrestled, are absolutely clueless about what's going on on the mat. You're like, why don't they just do this? Or I don't understand why they do that. Or like, so, so I experienced that with my daughters in soccer. Where you have parents who are like, just kick the ball as far as possible. That was awesome. Or, or you guys should be running faster when the coach is saying drop back for the back pass. Or, or, or I don't understand. Your teammate can see that pass. Why can't you see that pass? In fact, I remember it was about four or five years ago. I decided I was going to prove to my daughters that I could play this game better than they could. So I signed up for an indoor soccer league. I was going to show them. Boy, did I show them something. So I signed up and I brought them with me. I'm like, here you go, I'm gonna show you. And so I went out there and let me tell you, that game is a lot faster and more frantic when you're on the field, right? So I got off the field and all of a sudden, my children became me. Dad, why didn't you make that pass? Dad, you didn't kick that ball right. Dad, you should have run faster. Dad, I, I get it, all right? I'm not gonna say anything else after your soccer games, right? Why? Because unless you've done it, or unless you've gone through it, or unless you've experienced it, it's really hard to give it. 
It's like saying, uh, when I got my first car, my dad bought me a, a, a book on how to take care of your car, and I still have that book. It's a, a kind of a thicker book and, and tells you all the different things you can do, but, but just by reading that book, it does not make me a car mechanic, right? Just because you've read something or you've seen something, it, it doesn't allow you to be the one who is able to give something. And this is the grace of God. Unless we understand it and we've experienced it and we've received it, it's really hard to give that. We're going to see that in the life of Jonah as we understand this. How do we best come to understand grace? The greatest gift that we have ever received given in Jesus Christ. That if we're called to give grace, how do we first come to understand and experience that grace? We're going to see that in the book of Jonah. Would you open with me to Jonah chapter 1 this morning? If you're using the Bibles in front of you, you can find it on page 774. Uh, otherwise, if you brought your Bible from home, we really love and encourage you to do that because uh, as you look in your Bible, you can always highlight it, underline it, write in it. Page 774, though, if you use the one in front of you, Jonah chapter 1. Before we jump into this, uh, there is all sorts of beliefs about the book of Jonah in terms of the historicity. Like, is this a true story? Uh, is this really, did this really happen? Or is this just a whale of a tale, right? Okay, some of you get what I'm saying. So, so but, but is, this, is this really real? Well, if we believe the words of Jesus are real, then we believe that this story is real. Even though some of you are like, I swallowed by a fish in the belly three days, well, Jesus seemed to believe it was real, and this will fit better with Jonah chapter 2 than it does here, but Jesus speaks about how just as, saying like this historical event, just as Jonah was in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth. So we believe this was real because if God controls all things, he can make things like this take place, and you'll see that as we read this text. Now, Jonah is called to go and to speak to Nineveh. Now, let me just give you a little history on Nineveh because this will speak into and, and shed some light on why Jonah does what he does. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And at this time, Assyria, uh, you could liken them to the cat, and Israel is the mouse. And if you're the mouse, uh, the cat has all the advantages, right? And so you just hope that they don't come after you and stalk you. So Assyria is the enemy, and Jonah is the prophet of Israel, and they would look at Assyria as the enemy that could destroy them, and they would want God to protect them from Assyria, and they would hope that Assyria would be destroyed at the hands of the Lord. And yet, Jonah is asked, called, to actually go and prophesy to Nineveh, a foreign country. Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. So this is exactly like other prophetic books would have started. Uh, books like Malachi, books like Isaiah and Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to whatever prophet it was and tells them, go to this king or go to this nation or go to this people and tell them this. So this sounds like a very familiar beginning to a prophetic book, but that's where it ends because Jonah kind of turns everything on its head in how he responds to this call. It says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish 
away from the presence of the Lord. So notice, uh, Jonah is, is sent from Israel, somewhere around Jerusalem, in that area, and, and a little north of that, and, and says he goes, and he decides, you know what, I don't want to go to Nineveh, so he goes down to Joppa, to Joppa, and goes the opposite direction of Nineveh. Tarshish, they believe, is actually a, a beach city in Spain. So Jonah has decided, you know what, God, um, I've been working really hard. I think I have some uh, time stored up, so I'm cashing in my time and I'm going on vacation, right? Because it's a, it's a beach city. It's a vacation spot. Like, like it's time for vacation. So, so God, uh, could you just send somebody else? Because I don't really want to go. Jonah is the reluctant prodigal prophet of God who runs the opposite direction. So he says, I, I don't want this calling. And you notice in this text, what is Jonah running away from? It's not Nineveh, is it? Do you see in the text, it says that Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah sought to run from God, thinking that if he went down to Joppa, he went down into the belly of the boat and went down to Tarshish, that, that he could flee from God and God wouldn't be able to see him. You know, one of the things that I love about iPhones, especially when you have children who have iPhones as well, is that you can link all your iPhones up. And there is this wonderful app on your iPhones when they are all linked together in the family called Find Your iPhone. So that if your child says to you, hey, I am going to West Bend with my friends, and you look at the Find the iPhone app, and they're not in West Bend, but they're in Milwaukee, you could text them and go, hey, you said you were in West Bend. Why, are, why is your phone in Milwaukee? Because the fact of the matter is, is if you have uh, teenage daughters or sons, they are no more than five feet away from their phone at any given point in time because their phone is their livelihood, right? Like, like they hold on to this thing. They don't know what to do without it. And so there is nowhere my children can flee from the presence of their father. There is nowhere that Jonah can flee from the presence of the Lord. He tries to. He can't. I love how the psalmist says this in Psalm 139. He says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed down in the depths of Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. He says, there's nowhere I can go from you. You're with me. And there are times where that is daunting because there are things that we are doing in our life that we don't want God to see. We would like to hide it from God because we know we're doing the wrong things and we're going the wrong way. In our thoughts, our words, our actions, we are not doing what God would want us to do. And we try to flee, but there are other times where this is an amazing promise. Because there are struggles and brokenness and pain and suffering in our life. And we are reminded that God is always with us. Well, in this text, Jonah has decided that he wants to run away from the presence of God. He wants to run away from the one who is calling him, from the caller of him to be the prophet of God. Because he doesn't like what God is calling him to. 
He doesn't want God to be who he wants him to be. In fact, it's not just that Jonah fears going to Nineveh, although I'm sure he certainly feared going to Nineveh, because going by yourself to the enemy capital to tell them that they are doing something that is wrong, and if they don't fix it, they're going to be destroyed, probably is, is not a task that any one of us would want to do, right? That would be like when I've gone to Lambeau Field in full Chicago Bears gear and celebrated a touchdown in the Packers section. Like, that is not looked kindly upon. I've done it before, trust me. So, this is not what Jonah would have wanted to do. But there's another reason Jonah didn't want to go. And that reason was because he was afraid that God was going to be exactly who he said he was. We'll look more at this when we get to Jonah 4, but just jump ahead to Jonah chapter 4 for a moment. Jonah, in Jonah chapter 4, has already prophesied to Nineveh in Jonah 3, told them what will happen, and the people of Nineveh repent. We'll see that when we get there. But Jonah actually goes up onto a hillside that overlooks Nineveh, and Jonah is waiting for the show. He is waiting for the fireworks. Like, Jonah's thoughts had to be like Sodom and Gomorrah, fire from heaven falling down, consuming Nineveh, Nineveh's toast. This is going to be a great show, right? And so he goes up there to observe the, the wrath and the judgment of God on, on Nineveh, and nothing happens. We'll see that when we get to Jonah chapter 4. And so it says in verse 2, And Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God. You are merciful. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You relent from disaster. Jonah's like, like I knew you, and, and I fled from your presence because I knew that if I went to Nineveh and they repented, that, that you would forgive them, and they don't deserve your grace. They're the enemy. You're supposed to destroy them. And so Jonah, knowing who God is, that God seeks all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, decides to run the opposite way. And it goes on in verse 4, and it says this, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Do you see the irony there? What are the sailors doing? They're praying. And what's the prophet doing? Sleeping. Like it's supposed to be opposite, isn't it? Right, like sailors, maybe they're not supposed to be sleeping, but they should be rowing or they should be taking care of the boat. And the prophet should be praying, but the prophet is sleeping while the sailors are doing. You're going, like, Jonah, what is wrong with you? And it says, and the mariners were afraid. Meaning, if these sea people who, based on the, the description of them, would have been experienced, strong, knowledgeable sailors. Like, if they're afraid, like, you should be afraid, right? And they do what would be the last resort of anybody who is driving this kind of a ship. And that is they take all of their prophets, the whole purpose for which they probably came to Joppa, and they throw it into the water. So when they go back, they're going to have lost every, all of their profit, everything. But they realize, you know what? My life is more important than these trinkets. And the entire time that they're doing this, Jonah is asleep. So the captain has to go down and says to Jonah, like, what do you, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. 
How ironic he calls him sleeper. Because Jonah really is asleep, isn't he? But not just physically. Jonah's spiritually asleep. He is sleeping on God. He is sleeping on his faith. He is sleeping on who God has called him to be and what God has called him to do. And so here Jonah is woken up. And it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us, a a normal practice. And they would believe it was somebody's sin that caused this. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. And then they start just peppering him with questions. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? You can kind of feel the frantic nature of, like, we need to figure this out because we're about to perish. So so what's going on? And, And Jonah says to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, although obviously not as much as he fears God's presence and his calling. But I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid. They said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Do you notice in this text something very significant? Jonah recognizes his sin, but he doesn't repent of it. He says, says, says I, I am a prophet of God, I fear the Lord, and, and it's because of me that he has done this, and he's going to say, so just throw me into the ocean. He's going to recognize his sin, he's going to recognize what he has done, but Jonah doesn't repent of it. He, he doesn't say, well, let's just turn the boat around so that I'm going to go to Nineveh because what I have done is wrong, and, and I have messed up in the eyes of God, and I need his forgiveness, and I need to return to what God has called me to do. He doesn't say any of that. He just says, just throw me out of the boat. I'd rather die. He doesn't repent, he recognizes. And you and I, we are called to repent, not just recognize our sin, not just to recognize our brokenness, not to recognize our thoughts, words, and deeds that we have done wrong in the eyes of God. But we're to repent of them. To say, God, I am wrong in this. Turn me back to you. Cause me to stop using those words. Cause me to stop looking at those images. Cause me to stop doing those things that you know I ought not to do. Cause me to stop having those thoughts that I ought not to have. And Jonah recognizes but doesn't repent. And in Jonah's actions, Jonah brings this storm upon himself. And there are different storms in our lives, different types of storms. There are some storms that come about just because of of the world we live in and the brokenness of the world. Storms of sickness and, and danger that occupy our lives. There are storms that come because of what other people have done to us and how they have hurt us. But there are also storms that come because of what we have done. Storms that we have brought upon ourselves. It reminds me of this story I was once told about this little girl, probably about five, six years old, and she would constantly go outside and constantly go across the street even though she knew her mom and dad had told her, you're not allowed to go across the street. And so on this Saturday morning, this little girl is on her tricycle and she's sitting there uh, looking longingly across the street. And her dad walks out and looks at, at his daughter and says to her, remember, I told you, do not go across the street. If you go across that street, you're getting a spanking. To which his daughter responds, well, you better spank me now because I got places to go. She's like, I'm just going to bring that storm on myself because I really don't care. That's where I want to go. And there are storms that we bring upon ourselves in rebellion, in rejection, in negativity, in, in how we treat others, in our own selfishness. We bring these storms on ourselves. 
And so it continues and says, so then they said, well, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? And the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me this great tempest has come upon you. Recognition, not repentance. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Their strength could not not match the power of God. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the merit men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Do you see Jonah was actually a better prophet to the sailors than he was to Nineveh? Jonah became the means by which God delivered this message to the sailors so that the sailors understood their the sin and the necessity to offer sacrifices, worship, and praise. They understood the grace of God better than Jonah did as they sought to receive from God his blessing. How ironic that is that these foreign sailors knew God's grace better than Jonah did. And then verse 17, it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. I love that word appointed. It means God chose. He picked this fish. And you're going to see this word a couple of times in Jonah. It says, He appointed a fish. He appoints a plant. He appoints a worm. He appoints a scorching east wind. And he appoints different things. And he appointed Jonah to be the prophet of God. And of all of them, Jonah is the only thing God appointed that goes the opposite way of what God calls him to do. And Jonah was in the belly of this fish three days and three nights. Some people go, well, what kind of fish was it? Can I tell you, it really doesn't matter. Right? Like, it doesn't hinge on that. Like, some people say a whale, and then some people say, yeah, but a whale's throat isn't big enough to swallow a, a person. And so there's actually some who believe, just based on, on, on the size of fish and, and the size of the throat necessary to swallow a human, that it would have had to be a great white shark that swallowed him. And some will go, well, but it would have eaten him. Well, not if God appointed it, it wouldn't have. Right? God's in control. But whatever fish it was, it really doesn't matter. This fish swallows Jonah. And Jonah goes down into the depths to start to understand God's grace because Jonah didn't get it. And we know that because, because Jonah didn't get it, he didn't want to give it to Nineveh. Because in order to give the grace of God, you have to understand the grace of God. There's a word in the Hebrew that is found multiple times in Jonah that I think is such an important word. It's this word in the Hebrew, you see the Hebrew, called yarad. Would you say that with me this morning? Yarad. I love this Hebrew word. The word yarad means to go down into the depths. Jonah goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the fish. He goes down into the belly of the boat. He goes down to Tarshish. He goes down into the depths. Chad Bird says this about this word. Jonah's descent is the human condition. We too remember the Lord, but it's usually after we've gone down so far that the only option left is to look up. And when we do, there is the Lord looking us in the eye with grace and mercy. For he is the God who meets us at the bottom. He's the God who meets us at the bottom. We think we can flee God, and yet God always finds us. He found Zacchaeus in a tree, Moses in a burning bush, 
Gideon hiding in a wine press, Matthew at a tax collector booth, Peter and John in a fishing boat, and Paul running to kill Christians on the way to Damascus in a bright light. And God finds you in your brokenness, your pain, your anger, your arrogance, your rebellion, your self-sufficiency, your pride. God finds you in the depths. God pursues you. In fact, that's what we hear about in Jonah chapter 1 that God's relentless grace pursues you into the depths of your life. And he does it to save you. I love these words of Paul in Romans chapter 5. Would you read these words with me? For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, none of us are good enough to earn or deserve the grace of God, and that's exactly what grace is about. Grace is about God delivering to us what we don't deserve and cannot earn. And you and I, in the depths of our sin, in the depths of our brokenness, are able to experience the grace of God. And it's only there in the depths when there is nothing left and we look up to God and cry out in our brokenness, God, save us, that we can fully experience the grace of God so that in fully knowing the grace of God, we can give it to those that we know need it as well. Because there are people in our lives, just like for Jonah, it was Nineveh, who we believe do not deserve the grace of God. An ex-spouse, an ex-husband or wife, a co-worker, an ex-partner, a family member who has hurt us very badly, a parent, a friend who betrayed us in a great way. There are people in our life who we say they do not deserve the grace of God because look at what they've done, look at what they've said, look at how they've acted, and it's exactly for them that the grace of God exists because that grace exists exactly for you in the same way. That's what the book of Jonah shows us. That God's relentless grace pursues us into the depths of our sin and brokenness so that we would know how God restores us from that by his grace. And we're going to see that in the next three chapters. But for today, we see the God who pursues us into the depths. And that's where we leave Jonah. In the depths. In the belly of the fish. Unbeknownst to us, unless you've read ahead, What's going to happen to him? Yet knowing that God's grace always pursues us into the depths of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your relentless grace that follows us. Lord, we see that in the book of Jonah, in Jonah chapter 1. We see that in the grace, the grace of you sending a storm because you could have let Jonah go. You could have just left him follow his own ways and remove himself from your presence and be on his own, and yet you sent a storm to turn him. Then you sent this great fish to save him. You relentlessly pursued him into the depths. So Lord, there are times we know you send storms into our life to save us, to turn us, back to you. 
So Lord, remind us of your presence that is always with us. Remind us that no matter how bad the storms, that you are with us in the midst of it. No matter how far into the depths of our sin, our brokenness, our pain, our suffering, our self-sufficiency, we descend that you are there for us so that when we look up in repentance, you are there reaching out to us into the depths of our life to restore us so that we might know your relentless grace that pursues us into the depths. Save us, O Lord, from our sin and our brokenness that we might know you once again. And in knowing you, we might deliver you to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.